Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sheila Shoiga, and this is Ready to Be Real Conversations, the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognise, others you might not, but my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort, or simply entertain you. This week, I'm re releasing one of the most listened to episodes ever of Ready to Be Real. Three years ago, I spoke to someone who has since become a very good friend of mine the wonderful Cathy Stritch. And like many conversations on this podcast, this is at times a difficult listen, so please do check the show notes in advance to prepare yourself. Cathy is from Clunfad in County Roscommon, but she lives in Galway with her soon-to-be husband Stephen and their little boy Freddie, who's four and a half. And nine years ago, her world changed forever when her sister Elaine was diagnosed with a stage four brain tumour. Elaine was married to Pa, and their two boys, Adam and Jason, were one and four at the time. And I started the conversation by asking her to talk to us about her sister. So Elaine was my sister. Um, she is the eldest in our family. Um, big bubbly personality. She There was a year and a, a, year and a half between us. So... Um, we were very close growing up because it was just the two of us. Um, and then, you know, when we were seven, uh, my mum had twin boys. So we had to kind of shift over a little bit and make room for these other two. Um, but, you know, myself and Elaine always had a good bond through the years. Now, we weren't always bosom buddies, you know, as sisters do. <laughs> but um, just the thing about her, I always think when I think about Elaine was the loyalty like, it's very hard to find that somewhere else. And like, when I think back to any time I ever, you know, you know, even when you were kids and maybe someone says something mean to you, she might be not even talking to me. Maybe I took something belonging to her, but she'll always step in and go, what did you say? What did you say to my sister? You know, yeah. so protective. Yeah. Um, but she was also, even though there's only a year and a half between us, she was almost like the mom. Like, mm. I used to feel so nearly immature because she allowed me to be. She'd say, did you text that car there yet, though? And I'd be like, all right, it's grand. You know, she, she just really was, 
even though there's only a year and a half between us, it was like, in my head, I thought she's got it all together and what the hell am I at with my life? You know, she was very an, like an old head on, on young shoulders. Um, big homebird. Uh, didn't like to go too far from home and then I was the opposite. But we were very similar in terms of just we got the same jokes, the same stupid stuff. She'd ring me laughing at like the unbelievable, that kind of crap. Yeah, yeah. Um, and music, we're obsessed with music. The two, like I would know, she used to seek me out in the dance floor. Do you know that kind of way? Ah, oh, class. If we were at something, she'd be like, she'd come at me and it was like, we were just in tune and that was it, you know. Yeah. But yeah, big, big time. Just I, it's so similar to me. Like it's, I've never found that in another human to have someone that I know what she's thinking. I know that she would like this too. You know, that kind of way. Yeah. So yeah, we were very, very close um, in that regard, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. Six years ago was the beginning of a very tough road ahead. Yeah. Do you know that song, Baz Luhrmann? I don't know what it's called. Where's Sunscreen, Where's isn't Sunscreen? it? Yes. I love it. So I remember referencing that song. This is just one of those moments in my life where I remember clearly somebody was talking about... I don't know, there was a forest being planted and they were just so irate that it was going to block their view. (laughs) And I remember going, Jesus, like, you've nothing to be complaining about. There was no illness or whatever in the family that this person I was talking to. And I remember referencing that song saying, do you know that line in the song? They didn't know what I was talking about. It says, you know, you're... The real troubles are something that's likely to blindside you some idle Tuesday afternoon at 4 p.m. So... A random Tuesday afternoon, okay. I was in Salt Hill. I was in um, the AIB bank in Salt Hill and my phone rang and I was actually working, but I was going over to lodge money or whatever. And the phone rang and it was my sister and she was hysterical. And I said, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she said, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? She said, I'm after, I'm in Castlebar Hospital and I'm after, they're after telling me that I have a lesion on my brain. So I was like, okay, what's that? Oh, okay, we'll come down, we'll give you a Panadol, okay. <laughs> what's a lesion? And she says, I think it's a tumour. So I was like, well, what's that mean? So I didn't even know that she was going to, to get um, a scan or an MRI or whatever. It was that, you know, she didn't make a big deal about it. So she went on her own and she couldn't get through. They, they gave her the news that, look, there's a tumour on your brain. Uh, they didn't say it was cancer because obviously you need to biopsy it. But she was on her own and she had tried to get through to her husband, but she couldn't couldn't reach him at the time. And then I think she rang my mum first, but then she rang me. So I was like, it's fine. I'll be there. I'll be there. So she said, well, I need to stay here. They won't let me go home. They wouldn't let her drive because a brain tumour, you shouldn't be driving. So um, I packed everything and so I was down within an hour. Like I went to her house first to pick up her bits and pieces, her pyjamas and stuff. So down we went anyway. And um, yeah, so that was kind of the start of, which is bizarre because it was a Tuesday at 4 p.m. And I said, there we are. This yeah. is it. This is li- this is exactly what happens. Everything turned in its head then. So yeah, we went down. I went down to Castlebar and everything and she was there for the week. Um, I can't remember now because it all uh, overlaps. But um, she, it turned out that she, she had a tumour. So I suppose her symptoms had been you know, after the fact, I found out, you know, I did know she was having headaches. She was having a lot of migraines, a lot of severe headaches. Um, but she really wouldn't be one to complain about. Pe- now, I would. <laughs> I would sit all day. Oh, my God, I have a sore head. But she wouldn't. So you knew if she's complaining, it's bad. Okay. Um, and after the fact, she told me, I, I said, what pushed you to go to get the, the MRI or the CT or whatever to go to the doctor? So she was saying one day she was sitting with her husband and 
they're actually laughing because he said, did you just say something there? And he said that, you know, when you watch TV and it's like your mouth doesn't, isn't going the same speed as what's coming out. Yeah. So he said that she said something. It was like her mouth was moving at a different speed. So they laughed about that. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, she yeah. said that was weird. Then, you know, she was getting the pins and needles and all that. And then um, she said what really pushed her to go was the fact that she was in work one day and she said, you know, the noise when you'd be in a swimming pool, the water in the ears, she she felt like she couldn't hear what they were saying properly. So really, that's what pushed her to go. But I mean, she never dreamed that's what they were going to tell her and no one did. And that's why she was on her own, you know. So, yeah, anyway, we went down and um, she went to Beaumont the following Friday for um, surgery. So they removed the tumour. That quick? That quick, yeah. The following Friday, they removed the tumour. So then they had to biopsy it. Um, Phenomenal, when you think. We were up there for the surgery and I remember we went up, myself and her husband, we got the call and they said, um, my dad was downstairs as well. And they said, well, two of you can come up. So me, me and her husband went up and like she literally was bantering already. She was like, look at the head of me. Am I, am I awful looking here? Like bantering. She just had brain surgery. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I suppose she recovered. She So the following uh, two weeks then was a long wait because they'd biopsied her. So then we didn't know if it was malignant or not, which mm-hmm. is obviously, as anybody who's had cancer will tell you, is a horrendous wait. So she went up. I don't. I didn't go with her that day. I um, was working, and my mum went and her husband, and it was horrific. Um, apparently, they. I think her husband almost collapsed. They said that you have stage four, um, a very rare sarcoma um, tumor, and they told her there and then that this will significantly reduce your life expectancy. Um, and she said, "But how long?" And they said, "Up to five years." So, you know, that day was horrendous. You know, she came home that night. We all came down. I remember we left them be in their house, um, her husband and herself. And I remember she called me. My home house is right next door to, as I said, she's a home bird. She didn't go very far. Their house was right next door. So I remember she called me at 12 and she was just screaming, crying, please come over and get me. And she needed to come over to the home house because... Pa was so upset. Her husband was Pa um, and he was so upset and they were just obviously devastated with that news. And I think that day is always a horrendous day. But from there, you know, I suppose they picked themselves up and, you know, then she was given a plan for Mm -hmm. chemo and radiation and all the rest of it. So she went through that and she had the chemo and she had the radiation and, you know, she took it like a champ, for lack of a better phrase. You know, I remember... I always think back in that time, I was single at the time (laughs) and I was always, when am I ever going to meet anyone? But actually, when I look back now, it was perfect because I was totally at her beck and call. I was available for her. Um, So I would have been there a lot, you know, to mind the kids. They had two small boys. So she started started her treatment um, on the day of her youngest first birthday. So it was Adam's birthday. And I remember that morning I have a photo. We took a photo up in the bedroom and she said, isn't this just unbelievable, you know? So she went for her first day of chemo on his first birthday. So, um, but I would, you know, have babysat a lot. I was self-employed, so my job allowed me to be flexible and, and help a lot. So, Jesus, Cathy, like, yeah. 
That is really hard for, I think, anyone to get your head around that. Mm-hmm. Your first birthday, such a milestone birthday mm-hmm. for any mother, mm-hmm. any parent. Yeah. And then to, to be. It was just bizarre oh, that that's God. the day. Yeah, that, that was, was the day. day. Uh-huh. So, so there was no delaying it. Like that was no. it. You start today. Yeah, you couldn't, you yeah, know. Of course you can't. I can't come today. You know, no, no, no. you had to do it. But um, yeah, so when I say she took it so good, what I mean by that is, you know, I used to say, I'm here go to bed, go to bed. And she would say, no, I'm not. If I go to bed, Kathy, I won't get up. She says, like that, I have to keep up and keep going. And she wasn't very ill during the treatment. Like, the only thing really that she had was um, a lot of tiredness from the radiation. You know, she was very wiped and very tired, but she never went to bed with it ever. You know, whereas, as I said, I'd probably never come out of the bed, but she kept going. And I suppose it was different because she uh, she used to say to me, Kathy, I've, you know, I have two small boys, you know. She says, if you had kids, you'd know you'd do the same. She says, I have mm. to keep up and I have to keep going, you know. So, she, yeah, she, she had her treatment and, yeah, she really, she did fantastic, I suppose, because um, she came out fighting, you know. She, she was so well. Yeah. And I think the thing with the, a brain tumour is you never get the all clear. And you often hear people, you know, once the treatment is over, she would go back and they would say, looks great. There's no sign of anything. And I always remember people used to kind of congratulate us or say, oh, isn't that brilliant news? But in a way, it wasn't. And Elaine would say that because they would say, we'll see you again in three months. So mm-hmm. you would have the good news and you might feel good for, for a week. But then you're on the three week countdown to the next or the two month countdown for the next yeah, I get you. checkup, you know. Mm. So it was never like she never got breathing room, really, because it was always a three monthly checkup. I suppose just with the type of tumour that it was, it was a very aggressive tumour. Is that what they told us? So, yeah, that was 2014. But um, I suppose she got a full year of good checkups, you know, and, and all was well. So scans, yes. all the different tests that you would yeah, imagine. Yeah, she would go in for her um, her MRIs every three months. Yeah. And and all was well, you know, and... She, so tumour gone, tre- yeah. you know, she'd taken well to the treatment. Yes, yeah. So it did its job at mm-hmm. that time. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, so she, she was in, in, in great spirits then. Um, yeah, so oh, I suppose what we did then was we booked a holiday in... July of 2015 um, because you know she was through it um, you know she she was always one for get the credit card out come on let's go mm. <laughs> so um, so this is the following year yes yeah. this is the following year yeah exactly I suppose a year later she started her treatment in September so uh, she was well and she was just chomping at the bit to get going you know um, she also hated that she couldn't drive you know <laughs> that bothered her she loved driving with the music up so she was dying to get going yeah so she asked me would I come with them with her husband and the two children really just I suppose to help out and she probably you know with the radiation she still there is an after effect where she felt kind of a bit wiped and tired at times so she just wanted the help and sure I said absolutely I'm in put me in so we all headed off the, th- the three adults I suppose and the, and the two kids and and we had so much fun and Actually, at that time, I was taking so many videos and photos unknown to her because I always remembered what the doctor said. And I thought she may not be around. I'm, I'm a realist, you know, obviously I was keeping the bright side out. But I said, I, it's important that I take these videos and photos of them as a family. The boys need to know. So I had so many videos and particularly with her husband, because 
you know, I was never going to pull a phone up and put it into his face. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I had reason to do it. And they, they knew I was taking videos at times and stuff, but I would, I, I discreetly took a lot of long videos. I have lovely ones of them on the beach and, you know, different things where they're dipping the boys' toes into the water and all different things. So, yeah, the holiday was phenomenal. It was really nice. Um, and how old were the boys at this stage? So I suppose Adam would be just about to turn two. Two, yeah. And Jason would have been five. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we got back and all was well. All was good with the world. Okay. Um, so then I suppose if we forward on to October, um, I was I was uh, in Galway. And as I said, you know, Elaine always would call on me, be very quick. What are you doing? Come down here. <laughs> I need you. And I'd say, yeah, no problem. Um, but she called me one, I think it was a, um, a Sunday anyway, and she said that Pa's mother had passed away. So that would be her mother-in-law. Yes. Kind of un- unexpectedly. Um, so she just said, can you know, can you come down and, and look after the boys? You know, we have so much to do to get ready. I said, absolutely, 100%. So um, I went down on the Sunday and I spent... You know, she was gone and they were over getting the house ready and stuff. And um, I was playing with the boys and all the rest of it. And then, you know, that evening Pat returned home and, you know, I give him a hug and a kiss, um, which I normally wouldn't do. But just to sympathize with him, obviously, because his mom had passed away and, you know, it was it was obviously really sad. So um, it just was and the boys had gone to bed. I put them to bed and. Pa was sitting in the sitting room. I just remember he was, you know, a bit dazed, I suppose. And I remember we were watching, I think it was Braveheart. because <laughs> He loved that. And uh, we were sitting there and normally I was so at home in their house. You know, I mean, I would walk in and do whatever, you know, I wasn't a guest. I was, I would live in, you know. Yeah. Um, but that night I just felt, you know what, I'll, I'll go and get out because I'm a pure night owl. So normally I wouldn't go. <laughs> They'd go before me to bed. But that night I just said, you know what, I'll, I'll leave them tonight because, you know, they need this moment. His mum has passed away. So I, I left them be and I went to bed. And so the following morning um, they were getting ready for the funeral. And, um, you know, Elaine was telling me, you, you know, what uh, this is my plan. I have to go and get something for um, Pa to wear and all the rest of that kind of thing. And... Um, you know, I remember Pa was there that morning. We sat and we were chatting and we were on about the Late Late Show and different things. And um, I said to him, I actually took a video that morning of of the little boy, Adam, uh, crawling up to him, going, Daddy, hello, oh, Daddy, hello. And it's a beautiful video. And Pa picks them up and, you know, it's gorgeous. So anyway, Pa said to me, will you just give him a slice of toast there? And then he left. Mm-hmm. And Elaine said, you know, I am, uh, I'm heading off now. So that was fine. So I was sitting there on my laptop um, by the stove mm. and she went outside as she was about to go and I was watching her out through the window and the next thing she came back in and her face was completely and utterly grey and she said, Pa just had an accident. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, come on, we have to go quick. So I always remember I put the laptop onto the ground and I had the door of the stove open, <laughs> which mm. is completely beside the point, but to this day, I don't know who closed that door or who took my laptop off the ground. We were just out the door and gone. So Jason was in the front sitting room. So I had to bundle him up very frantically, but trying to go, come on, Jason, come on, come on. We have to go, we have to go. And he was saying, where are we going? I said, come on, come on, come on. So I, I left him next door um, to my, my home house. There was people there. So I drove the car, um, which I wasn't used to her car, but I drove. And I just remember saying, 
are you okay? And she said, I, w- I will be if Pa is. And I said, what happened? And she said, I don't know. Um, his sister called me and said, come quick. He's been in an accident. So they were erecting a light for his mother's funeral. Um, and I remember saying, oh, sure, I've got now, Elaine. He's probably broke his leg or something like, you know, calm down. And she was like, she just didn't speak the whole way over and said, look, just get there. And then I remember her saying, don't crash. <laughs> um, so we pulled up and I remember... I just always remember someone coming towards me saying, it's okay, Cathy, he's responding. And I remember going, what? What what do you mean he's, what? I was expecting to see him there with a broken leg, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, he was in a very bad situation when we got there. Um, He had fell. um, They were erecting a light and the light kind of more or less catapulted him. And he, uh, he, we were waiting for an ambulance to come. Um, he was, he was semi-conscious. Um, it was just pandemonium. So an ambulance came after what seemed like a week. It was probably 40 minutes, 50 minutes. Mm. And when they got there, I remember just being saying to them, he'll be fine though. He'll be fine, right? He'll be fine. And, you know, you know, when they know it's serious, they get nearly, you know, they're so straight with you. They're like, you need to move out of the way. And yeah. I said, but I just, I just, but he's fine, right? And... I remember them saying, this is very serious. So they called for the, the a helicopter. The yeah. Coast Guard helicopter arrived 20 minutes later. And that was surreal because they were landing in a field in the middle of the country. And it was just the most surreal thing. People had started arriving. Um, so I, wa- you know, the, the, the Coast Guard arrived and they, they put him onto um a stretcher and, and into the helicopter but I walked Elaine up to the helicopter and then you know it was a bit of we didn't know if I would go with her or not go with her it was very loud they could only signal on the helicopter and they were saying only one person can come and then they were saying I could come and it got confusing so anyway I in the end of it all Elaine said I'm fine I'll go myself with him so she left uh, with Pa and we just got straight into the cars and straight to Dublin he was going to Beaumont and um yeah, I remember that, that was a, a crazy ride up. We got a guard escort in, um, myself and my brother. And um, yeah, so when we got to Beaumont, they said that, you know, that he was, um, they weren't really giving much information to her at all. Um, but she was, you know, just wringing the hands and so nervous. And a few people had come, you know, a couple of his close friends and one or two people from home that lived in Dublin. And yeah, we, we waited there till eight, eight in the evening. And then they eventually came and said, where's Mrs. Bones? And we went into the room with her. I think his brother was there, Elaine, myself, my dad and another brother. And it's one of those moments that you just skip a beat. You know, your breath goes. You know, they just said that they went through a timeline of, you know, he came in at this time and we did this and we did that. And they just eventually said he had a devastating brain injury. And everyone just, you know, started to, they they were realising the news that they were giving. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to them, somebody had to ask, so I just said, is he going to die? And, and they said, he will, yes, he will. So at the moment they said, he's on life support, you can go down and spend some time with him. So yeah, so we went we went down and um, yeah, he passed away three days later in, in Beaumont, or two days later, that was the Monday, he passed away on the Wednesday. So obviously that was crazy because we had never expected that ever to happen. You know, it was Elaine that we were always watching and wondering yeah. what would happen. But yeah, that, you know, it was absolutely horrendous. And oftentimes I, 
personally have a harder time dealing with his death because it's just anyone who has lost someone. There's no goodbye. So shocking. I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that we were there talking a few hours beforehand and he said, get toast for Adam. And, and then he was gone. You know, it was it was just unbelievable. Mm. And to have happened on the morning of his own mother's funeral. I mean, I mean for his family, it was Jesus. it's just it's unimaginable, really, what they had to go through. You it know, it is. It is. So, yeah, they had their mum's funeral and, and then they had their brothers. Um, but yeah, uh, that was a nightmare. Um, and then obviously, you know, we had to rally around Elaine. We had to pick her up. We had to be there. You know, I went into what can I do mode. Mm, mm. That was my, you know, give me the boys. I'll mind them. Do you want me to reorganize your wardrobe? I'll do that. <laughs> you know, do yeah. you want me to wash? I'll do the washing. And she used to laugh at me, but I'm like, I just need to do something. Give me, you know, what will I do? Yeah. Will I clean the house? Will that make you happy? Like I was trying my hardest to do anything to make her feel a little bit better. But, you know, that's never going to work, you know, but that's what you do. You don't know what else to do. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I just really went into that mode of, of um doing anything that I could for her, you know? Yeah. So she was, she was good, I suppose. She actually started to fight back again in that, you know, she, 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 how do I say it? She just, she was so strong. You know, her heart was broken. She adored him. They adored each other. They, they married when she was 22. Mm. Um, and they adored, and at the time we thought, Jesus Christ, 22, you're daft. But obviously they weren't. There was yeah. a reason why, why they did it, you know. But they loved each other so much. So I knew her heart was absolutely broken without him. Mm. But she just again had this strength and this, uh, just this, I suppose, love for her boys that she wanted to be there. And I, she did tell me, I want them to remember happy times. I don't want them to remember a really miserable house. I want them to always remember happy times. So we, you know, we just had lots of fun with the boys and we did so much that year then. What an amazing person. I mean, you know, I've said this to you a million times that I think you're incredible, which is why I I asked you to to sit down and have this conversation. But obviously, you know, you know, that saying she didn't lick it off a stone or he didn't (laughs) lick it off a stone. Clearly, you're even though for all your differences, he sound very similar. He sound like he both had um, an amazing appreciation for life. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, she definitely was. You know, I remember wanting to buy a car and and like I was saying, when I buy the car, she said, buy the car. What's wrong with you? Jesus Christ, buy the car. That was how she was. You Live know? for now. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Mm. Buy the fucking car. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I suppose after that, then she got into fitness with you in a big, big way. Big time. She? Yeah. We yeah. we gelled then a lot because I suppose then, you know, again, I was the single person, which I used to, you know, you know, when you're single and sometimes, you know, you're going to a wedding or something. And you're like, oh, Jesus, I'm like the spare wheel here now. And. You're so awkward. But the two of us like kind of started, at least I have you now. (laughs) She said, well, at least I have you. And we were like, you know, we'd be laughing. I said, when we're 80 now, we've been around like two old sisters together with walkers. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so so she kind of started getting into my fitness class. But I I really think it was as a way of keeping herself busy. Yeah. You know, when tragedy happens, sometimes sometimes people's coping mechanism is busy. Stay busy, stay busy, stay busy, keep going. And 
that's fine if that's what keeps you going you know yeah and physical fitness or challenges yeah. are so good for your yes. you know how you feel and yeah. what you're thinking about so it mm-hmm. gives you something else to occupy your thoughts absolutely the so so anyway she had always wanted to do tough mother which is something that i would have done a lot with my clients over the years and i'd done it many times myself so so for anyone listening who's never yes. heard of it before um because i've never been brave enough to do it actually can you talk us through it? What is it? So, yeah, Tough Mudder is a, um, it's a, like a mud run. It's a race, an adventure race. Um, and this one is quite a difficult one because I suppose the length, I think it's about 10 miles. I can't remember now, but it's, it's quite long. And you have all these crazy things like jumping into ice baths, going through electric shocks. <laughs> Why would you want to do that? Who knows? <laughs> for fun <laughs> this is what we do for fun but actually it's it's something that's so ridiculous but I have found over the years that it just people think they can't do it and so when they do it it opens up so many doors you know I, I over the years I convince convince come on you'll do it sure you'll be grand won't you be grand and they you know people's first reaction is no I can't do that I can't do that oh Jesus no way would I be able to do that and then you you push them and then they're in it. I think they nearly want you to push them though. Secretly they want to do it. But once you get them to say it out loud. So anyway, I had done it in 2014. And when Elaine had been doing her treatment, she couldn't do it. And she was so disappointed because she was going to do it. So she said after, you know, her treatment, she said, I will um, definitely do that now when I'm feeling better. Yeah. So after, you know, Pa had passed away and she said, you know, um, OK, this is it. I'm going to do it. So he had passed away in October and this is the following July. So she signed up for it. I said, come on, let's all do it. A bunch of us. So we decided to raise money for Pieta House. And um, I think it was 40 of us out of my class. I run, you know, I do a boot camp class and stuff. Um, 40 of us signed up to do it. So she was in and, you know, she was nervous as hell and she trained. She started training twice a day in my, I used to do a morning class and an evening class, but she just, she became addicted nearly. Yeah. So, yeah, we did we did Tough Mudder in July. And I mean, we had such crack, like such crack. And even then, uh, when I look back, we were so uh, she would wait for me. We might like break up in the in the group. But when she was going into the ice, she was like, where's Kathy? Where's Kathy? And the two of us had to go in together and the two of us had to do the electric thing together. We'd, we'd wait for each other. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we did that. And we raised, I think it was 15,000 that time. So. We were presenting the check in September and I mean, we had the most mental night I've ever had <laughs> out. It was just bananas. But she was full of life. And here's a girl that had lost her husband who had, you know, had a brain tumour. And, you know, we were lepping around the floor and we had such fun. And we have tons of photos from that night. It was just so much fun. Um yeah, so th- so that was up to then, and um, I'm actually just picturing you now because what you said oh, earlier about daft. like you know grabbing each other on the dance floor. So you just went wild on the dance floor. I have photos, and it was the weirdest thing. We we danced the same way. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Everyone probably was a signature move, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but we would like have the hands in the air and like jump, 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 and I, we would stare at each other while we were doing it. It was just weird. <laughs> I'm sure everyone else that sibling connection. But look, I get it. Yeah. I mean, I have a sister and two you brothers sister, myself, yeah. so I yeah, no, totally get it. And I think anyone with siblings will get that. Yeah. It's probably just is it is it genetics? I don't know. It's ingrained. Yes. Yeah. We, we, we look the know. same. There's a photo of the two of us hopping, and we're like, it's so weird. <laughs> and you're the only ones dancing. Probably. And everyone like else that. is like, what like, the hell well, are them two on? Mentors. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, um, but we love music, you see. We had a big bond over, you know, music. So, yeah, so that was that night. And the next day she was on the, the couch 
looking for Lucas Aiden Monster Munch because yeah. she was dying. <laughs> and I was laughing at her. The more in pain she was, the more I'd laugh. <laughs> so yeah, so that was fine. And then, you know, if we fast forward, I suppose, to, um, you know, we did so many things. As I said, we went to the races that summer uh, together. We just did a lot of stuff that year, which was great because I suppose a lot of people... And they'd be, they'd be justified to just go to ground after such a massive tragedy. But she didn't. She mm. did not. She did the complete opposite. And in actual fact, when we were doing Tough Mudder, I remember her. She was daft, a bit of crack. Like, and I remember her shouting. She's like, it's great to be alive. And that's what she used to say going around. And, you know, it became a slogan. Everyone was roaring, laughing at her. And the next day they were saying, it's great to be alive. And she'd say, not so much today because I'm dying from hangover. But um, isn't that incredible? Yeah. After everything she'd been yeah. through. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to be alive. Yeah, she was saying that was her mantra. Yeah. Isn't it great to be alive? And she might push you into the mud then and just crack, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So then um, I suppose if I fast forward then to Pa's first anniversary came in October. And obviously, mm. as anyone who's lost someone will know, that's it's it's difficult time. Every day is difficult. And actually, sometimes it's not the anniversaries themselves. It's the lead up to it, you know? Yeah. So obviously, you know, we were rallying around her again and... Um, this big thing was looming and so we had the, the anniversary mass and we got through it and she got through it and um, that Monday we had um, a, um, a class, a fitness class and um, she was there and she left which was bizarre because she's never done that and you know I rang her straight after she said I'm just going to go and I thought maybe she was upset or something and she rang and said Jesus she said I had such a blind and headache and I said oh did you? Now, obviously, at the back of my mind, some, the hairs did stand on my neck and say, oh, OK. And she said, um, you know, I was driving home and I could I could barely see the, the cars. The, the lights were blinding me. She said, my head was that sore. So I said, oh, God. Yeah, OK. I said, obviously, you've had a tough weekend, you know, just go home and rest. Yeah, so you were kind of playing it down. Playing it down, yeah, of course. I said, that's, that's nothing other than the fact you're stressed, you know. Yeah. So she was fine, as I said, a pure warrior her and warrior, and she's not going to um, just, you know, uh, say she's in pain if she's not, as I said before. But that kind of started a chain of events. So the f- I, I don't know timeline wise, but it started in October where she never came back to the class, basically every weekend or every couple of days she would ring and say, you know, she'd be really distressed and crying saying my head is so sore it's so sore I don't know what's wrong with me I'm getting sick and all this so you know me and my dad really stepped in and every everyone obviously but you know um, we would you know take her to A&E so we took her to A&E because it was so bad the pain uh, obviously she went to the doctor as the first step of call and report call and they would say well we don't know and you know we uh, you probably need to go to A&E so she went to A&E and I mean, the first time they said, look, it's probably just migraines. So we were happy with that. And, and they sent her home. Despite her history. Despite her history, yeah. Probably the first time she went in. They just spoke to her. And what would happen is she'd come around. And yeah, definitely the first time she went in, I remember. I think they might have took blood work. Right. And, you know. Doesn't that seem strange, though? With like, somebody with with the fact that she had already had a tumour mm-hmm. removed as she had been through the treatment she had been through. Mm-hmm to perhaps dismiss a pain like that as down to just a simple migraine. I mean, I wasn't there and I'm just as an outsider observing this. That's that's exactly what happened. That's what happened. Uh So she went in and, you know, she would just say, 
give them the history and they were just kind of looking at what was in front of them. When she would get in and she was in a lot of pain, you know, they, they would give her something for the pain. And so she'd perk up and she'd feel better and they would say, well, OK, you know, we'll see. Um, you seem OK. Perhaps it's migraines. You know, we'll give you painkillers and whatnot. So they weren't sending for her for scans or anything? Not at that point. Not at the real beginning. Right. So then um, it just became like weekly where she would be in bed. So this is she did start going to bed, which obviously is highly unusual. And she would say, can you come down? I'm not feeling well today. Can you take the boys? No problem. Um, Quite headstrong herself where, you know, I'd be pushing her, maybe going to the doctor. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, didn't want to be stuck in the hospital again. Um, But it would just get so bad, you know, that we'd have to ring the ambulance to go. And we knew that it was better. We started to become pros where we knew A&E is such a mess that if you go by ambulance, you'll get in. Whereas if you go by car, which she did one night, I was out one night, she rang me, she was distressed. And then my dad took her to A&E and I didn't drink the night I was out and I, I came to join, that was at about nine and I came to join them at 4am and they were still there outside the doors of A&E not, not having been seen. Mm. She was there for about 16 hours and then they saw her, same thing. Um, looks like headaches, looks like migraine. This was during the bed crisis. There was, I saw it with my own eyes, there were nurses, lots of nurses on, but maybe one, maybe two doctors for 50, 60 people. So you were waiting hours to be seen so you might start with one doctor and then they're gone off the shift by the time someone you know you'd have to chase is there any sign of my bloods what bloods oh okay you know it was just it was any that time was I don't know what it's like now but it was chaotic so yeah so we would um, go in and out and in and out and there was a couple of times she was kept they did tests on her so every time she went back in she'd have to tell the story all over again so they started doing the brain scans to be fair you know they knew she had a history of a brain tumour and they would do a brain scan, but there was nothing showing. Uh, but then she would come in the following week and we were we were getting desperate. Like she was losing so much weight. She was in tremendous pain. Um, she was literally just going to hospital, coming home, going to hospital, coming home. And it carried on for, for from October all the way to December. Um, and every time we went in, we would, you know, we were kind of fighting for her because she was getting weaker. And we were telling the doctors, you need to do something. And I remember saying one night to a doctor in A&E, you know, he said, well, we've done the brain scan again and the results have come back clear. I was like, well, of course they have. They're coming back clear every week, but we're here every week. I said, if you send her home again, we're going to be here next week. You need to delve deeper. And I remember saying to them, what about her back? Because she complains of pain in her back. I said, would you not scan her back? And they said, well, not really, because she's a history of a brain tumour. I said, okay, but can you not just scan her from head to toe? Could she, is it possible she could have a tumour in her spine? And he said, I always remember him saying, well, technically your spine is a part of your brain. It's an extension from your brain. So she, she could, but, you know, I can look into that. And then he was gone off his shift and then there was someone else saying, and then Elaine wanted to go home. You know, mm-hmm. if the doctor came in, which they did several times, says, look, okay, everything looks okay. We think it's migraines. We'll send you to a migraine clinic. Um, you know, she'd say, fine, 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 fine. Great, great, great. Kath, come on, let's go home. Because she had two boys at home with no dad, remember? And she wanted to go home. And she strikes me as somebody who didn't like, want fuss. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. Mm. Yeah, really didn't want fuss. Um, So yeah, um, she would say it's fine. And we would kind of have to, to fight behind her back nearly. Yeah. But as it went on, she got 
very ill. She got very, very ill. She was at home and she was starting to collapse and have seizures. So then there was mention that, do you think this could be related to the fact that her husband has passed away and maybe it's a bit of a mental breakdown? And, um, you know, unfortunately, I heard things like that being said in the A&E because she was literally, and I don't want to frighten people that perhaps have a diagnosis, but she was literally screaming. Um, but we, we didn't know. I was so frantic. I remember sitting, standing beside her in A&E one day and she was so distressed. I was trying to say, Elaine, you know, sit down. It's OK. It's OK. And the doctors were just walking past us. And I remember someone saying, we need to get her out of here. We need to put her somewhere where no one can hear her. And at this point, she's still not diagnosed, you know, with anything. So, you know, we went in. I was crying. I remember crying beside the bed and saying, can someone please, please come and do something? So she was very weak. At this point, she was very weak. That day she had kind of collapsed at home. Me and my dad had to carry her down into the ambulance. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So what happened then was she was taken to Castlebar Hospital. Um, so she was taken in and because they had seen her so many times, they said, look, you're back again. And we don't really know what's wrong. And the ambulance, we live kind of on the border. So it really depend on where they took you. So Galway would have neuro, you know, surgeons and neuro specialists. But Castlebar didn't. So she ended up there on the, the last trip in. Um, she ended up there. And so they left her there for two weeks because they didn't know what to do with her. There was no beds available in Galway. And at this point, had any other scans been done other than on her brain? Just brain. Right. Yeah. So um, at that point, you know, she was in the hospital for, for two weeks. So she started to like lose her her movement. She couldn't feed herself. Uh, she couldn't lift, really. I mean, she was somewhat OK, but, I, you know, I had to come down. I had to shower her in the hospital. She was that ill. And we were saying this. We were, we were really like pleading for someone to listen to us. We were saying, you know, this is not right. This is, you know, and I think sometimes... 
you know, it's, it's the system that's broken and not the doctors and the nurses. They're fabulous, fabulous human beings. Fabulous. But they're only seeing a minute of her in front of them. You know, they, they don't know. I, I kept trying to say, look at me. Do you see me? She was like this six weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you now because she was so out of it and she had started to hallucinate and see things. You know, she would say, what's 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 that thing there? And I'd say, what thing? And she'd say, what's what's who's that? And she was just starting to see things. So we were saying, like, is this is this psych or what is this? Yeah. So um, I remember in Casabar, like we had to kind of feed her and then we kind of had to kind of stay with her because she couldn't move. But there was, you know, she, there was no nothing there for her. So anyway, to make a long story short. Um, what did you think it was, actually, if you mind me cutting in there? What do you think it was at that point when there were no answers and, and they couldn't find a way and they were wondering, was it actually, a, a, you know, a delayed grief losing her husband? What did you think it was? I think I was hoping it was that. Okay. But... I think I knew it wasn't. Right. I knew she was sick. But she said to me herself one day, she said, Kathy, I'm not depressed. I am not depressed. She said, I've been through enough shit to know mm. that I am not depressed. Mm. I said, it's, there's something wrong. And um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I think I, I knew she was sick. I was so focused on getting someone to take it serious. And if, if we were wrong, I didn't mind. But I wanted someone to scan her from head to toe. Yeah. But for some, whatever reason... I don't know if it's cost, but they just didn't. So I called um, her consultant that she dealt with in Galway. I rang his secretary and was like, we have her here, but he's not, see- she's not in front of him. So, you know, they don't know their urgency. They called politicians to try and get her in, but there was no beds, no beds, no beds. Um, so what happened was her um, consultant organised an outpatient appointment um, so that, you know, they said, look, at maybe the best thing we could do is bring her up and um, if she's bad enough, we'll keep her. So um, that's what we did. She went by ambulance. She was transferred by ambulance from Castlebar to Galway. Um, you know, we met him in a, in a prefab, I suppose, you know, the outpatients part of the Galway hospital there. And he spoke to her and asked her all the things, you know. Um, they were trying to really get their head around the seizures, you know, when you get these seizures, she was almost like blacking out and things. And he said, you know, when you get these seizures, are you aware that these things aren't real? Um, you know, and she was just so weak at this point. And she gave her answers and then we gave our answers. He kind of asked us then, you know, what do you think? But I always remembered he looked in her eyes and I remember, I just remember the look on his face where he examined her eyes and he, everything changed. He, he rang for, he said, I'll be back in a minute. And he rang for an eye specialist to come and look and and that was that and then he said first of all I remember him saying we don't have any beds available (laughs) and I I said well if you send her back to Castlebar I'm going on Joe Duffy (laughs) pulled out good old Joe yeah (laughs) and I said because he said "We, we probably won't keep you I said you are not sending her back no way yeah and, uh, you know, the lion. We had now changed roles. Of I course, was, yes. No, you will not send her back. Yeah. And you have to do that, unfortunately, nowadays. You have to fight. So anyway, <laughs> he was a bit taken aback, but then we ended up great pals in the end. Um, he uh, admitted her. He had the eye doctor come up and he had a conversation with us and said we were going to send her for more scans. Um and the following day we were in, we stayed with her that night because she was so weak, you know, and she couldn't feed, couldn't drink, nothing. So whoever, whichever one of us stayed. But the following day I was there with my brother and I remember he came to speak to us 
And normally they go to speak to the patient, but they came to speak to us. And he took my brother in and myself. And I just always remember he said, um, she's in big trouble. And I literally in my head said, no shit, Sherlock. Mm-hmm. Like, I know this. But I was like, finally. And he said to me, she has a three centimeter tumor in her spine, but that's the least of her worries. So, yeah, I believe what had happened was the the the, um, the cancer because a brain tumor, you know, it's your brain. You can't cut around it like you would maybe if you'd breast cancer or whatever. If there's any sort of a cell at all, you know, there's a huge risk of it coming back. And I think what happened was it went into what's known as it was called leptomeningeal disease. It's the membrane of the brain, um, it's kind of in the fluid of your brain. But you, there was signs. He showed us her her scans. And I am a person who wants to know. Other people don't want to know, but I want to know. Show me. What, I need to know what's yeah, happening. Yeah. So he showed me there's like, you know, the fluid on her brain, which should have been a telltale sign for them. And that's how he knew from her eyes, because he knew from looking into her eyes that there was pressure there, mm. which they probably should have picked up on a brain scan. But uh, yeah, so, you know, the prognosis was not good. But they never really tell you, you know, they're not going to just come straight out and go, yes, she's going to die. But he said, look, this is what we're going to try. This is what we're going to do. Um, The immediate plan was to try and drain the fluid from her brain um, to try and get that function back. So because her brain was swollen, it was kind of pressing on your brain stem, which is at the bottom of your brain, which controls your movement, your sight, which explains why she was having all those hallucinations. And as it turned out, he told me that her seizures were from pain. Which to me was horrific to think I was in an A&E and someone was saying, I don't know, maybe that girl needs a psych ward. Horrific, horrific, horrific to think that she was in pain and that's why she was so distressed. And yeah, so from there we um, stayed with her the whole time. You know, we, we rotated between my brothers, my mother, my dad, myself. I ended up kind of on the night shift because um, I was a night owl. I was just with her the whole time, you know, if she needed a drink, if she needed a drink, we had so much crack as well. She always had the humour still and she used to like to boss me and she'd say, give me a drink now, get on with it. <laughs> and we would have great crack. I'd say, you're such a bitch. And um, yeah, we just we just had those tender moments. And was she was she then receiving pain relief at this point? Yeah. yeah. So she was getting morphine and stuff, but she. So in terms of treatment, they weren't offering treatment. Not or chemo they? or uh, radiation. And he said at this point, uh, we won't look at that. But we, we kind of knew, obviously, this was grim and we kind of didn't want her to know Okay. too much. But she wasn't stupid either. She knew. <laughs> but did she ask questions? She had hope. Yeah, she did. She did. But she'd have so much banter with the, the consultant. Like she came in. I remember she, he came in and she said, are you telling me I'm fucked, basically? Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, look, get you it. Know, yeah, Anyone listening to this, yeah. come here. Humor is it's and and also keeping it real when you when you've been faced with with huge shock like that anything difficult yeah I mean the, when I when I was told that I had cancer I, I didn't start crying yeah I went fuck really bollocks fuck yeah. and I just cursed yeah because it's shock and it's a way mm-hmm. of coping it's the best and, and way hum- of getting it out it is and, and humor is too so yeah like and if I've offended anyone by cursing I'm sorry but that's just the truth of it Same, yeah. and it's very Irish yeah yeah because you know. And, and and in her situation, it, it was stuff you nightmares. Do what you have to do. What's, yeah, whatever feels right. Yeah, and it's you know I'm sure everyone can relate to that yeah. outburst. But um, yeah, with the consultant, we he was he was actually so nice. He mm. spent so many hours with her. 
you know, I remember they were afraid of her eating in case it would um, go down the wrong way because her, her swallow reflex was, was, you know, damaged, I suppose. Right, yeah. Um, and so we would have to kind of feed her and, and help her. And I remember he, towards, you know, a couple of weeks into it, he said, you know, you need to be careful of what you're feeding her because if that goes into her lungs, it'll give her an infection and that could cause her to die. But I remember her friend, her two best friends, Kem, Marie, then Marie, and it was Marie's birthday and Elaine loved brunch ice creams. <laughs> so they had brought her up a brunch and we asked him, can Elaine eat a brunch? And he said to me, if Elaine wants to eat a brunch, Elaine can eat a brunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. So we were at the point where, and we always, <laughs> and, uh, you know, he came back to us afterwards and said, you know, as it turns out, the brunch incident, you know, he used to talk about it. It was very funny. So, yeah, so we, um, I remember she was quite ill and they had a, a mass for her in my local community. You know, small communities are just phenomenal. Mm. So they gathered to have a mass because they knew the news was bad and, I went with her in, in by ambulance to Beaumont Hospital because they were going to do a procedure to drain the fluid and they thought that that might give her some movement back and a better quality of life because I suppose the fluid was causing her to not be able to swallow and all those kind of things. So they thought that they would, it's called a shunt, do a shunt procedure. And the long story short is we went and she had that procedure but it didn't work and she passed away on the 4th of February. So... I suppose four weeks later, three, four weeks later. Yeah. But we were there. We were there with her when she passed. I knew she was going to die that day. Sorry. I just, um, I had been around her for so long. Um, I just got a feeling that day that it was the fourth and she was born on the fourth. And um, my partner was there at the time. And because I was doing the nights with her, you know, they would send me home at six or seven in the morning and say, go home, get some rest now and come back in. And the way it had been was I was coming back in at, you know, one or two in the day, but maybe three and nothing would change. But you're so on edge. I mean, I was riddled with anxiety and I remember ringing. What's the story now? Has, it, you know, has anything happened? And they say, no, she's she's fine. She's the same. She's the same. But that particular day I went home at six and in the morning, I'd been there all night in the hospital with her and I said to my partner when I came home, he was getting up at nine. And he said, stay in bed now, you need the rest. Because we were exhausted. We'd been doing this for weeks, sleeping on a couch in, in the hospital. And I said, no, I, I think she's going to go today. I need to go down. I need to go down. And he said, why do you think that? I said, it's just the fourth. I actually had said it two or three days beforehand. I think she'll die on the fourth. Really? Yeah, I just I just had a feeling. So anyway, we went down. Yeah, I went on, on down that day and... We were all there, yeah. She passed um, in the afternoon, peacefully, very peacefully, from what had been horrendous to watch, the pain she was in. But, you know, in the end, they had her comfortable and she passed very peacefully, yeah. Do you remember the last conversation with her? I don't really... Well, actually, it would be one of the last conversations. So, my partner, um, we had been going out before, I'll get into that separate, maybe. Yeah, because we haven't even spoken about Stephen yes. yet. We will get into it. But to quickly give a snippet, mm. the long story of it was he was coming home to be with me. He lived abroad, but he knew she was dying. So he was coming home and she knew he was coming. So to kind of entertain herself, <laughs> if there was visitors in to see her, she would say, and Cathy's finally getting a man. 
Thanks, but Jesus almighty. <laughs> so just to explain about you and Stephen, you dated years previous, but you stayed in touch mm. and you'd reconnected because you mentioned it earlier on. Mm. You had gone to the Galway races with Elaine mm-hmm. a few like a few years before and you had met him and the sparks were still there. So you stayed in touch. Yes. And then, you know, Elaine, Elaine got re-diagnosed, as mm. it were, and was really sick. And he made the decision that he was going to leave his life and mm. come back to be with you. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we dated before and there was always there was always a spark. We'd go out mm. to a nightclub. I'd be like, oh, Stephen's here. Oh, my God. Do I look good? Let me flirt with someone now and make him jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Which apparently worked because he told me he saw me out one night <laughs> and he got so jealous. <laughs> Top relationship tips there from Cathy. <laughs> Make them jealous. So yes, so uh, you do what you gotta do. And yeah. so yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. As it turned out, she had been instrumental. So me and him connected, and we stayed in touch. And he was living in Canada, and he said he'd come home at Christmas time for a date. So we kind of had a bit of a date, and it went very well. Now at this time, this is when she was ill, and we didn't know what was wrong with her. So I kind of said she's not very well, but we don't really know what's wrong. So we did decide, you know, there's something there. But he had to go back to Canada to, to, he was in a contract and whatnot. And we said, look, we'll see next year when you come home. But I said, I'm not guaranteeing, you know, if I, someone else catches my eye, I'm gone. Put the panic under him, you know. So, um, yeah, as it turned out, we stayed in touch and I, uh, we were FaceTime and I, I told him she's dying. Yeah. So he had gone back from Christmas. He went back on January the 7th and he flew home the 31st of January. He packed everything up, lost so much money. But he has told me since he needed to be there. He said, I, it was different. We knew we loved each other. You know, we knew this is it. It was no, he was straight into it. Like when you think about it, he came straight home to a funeral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, not many people can do that. So yeah, he came home and God, he was just phenomenal. Like she knew he was there. Uh, she knew he was coming. But by the time he came, she was, I suppose, in his sleep. So one of those last conversations he had, Stephen was at the core of it. Mm-hmm. How did that go? It was late. It was the middle of the night. I had two of her friends that I used to call when I just couldn't take it anymore. Like it was difficult. It was difficult because she was in pain and she was trying, you know, to get me to itch if she had an itch and she couldn't describe where it was. And it was really stressful, like, to be honest. But um, her friends, one or two of them, I would call them at three in the morning. Can you come up, please? Because they would say they would. And they did. And we were there one night. It was the wee hours. And... um, well, finally, this one now has a man, you know, and I actually recorded it because I just knew I need this, you know, for the future. And Stephen had said 100 percent, I'll marry her. You know, she, I said, he's coming home and he said he loves me and he's going to marry me and all the rest of it. And she was thrilled with this. And it was kind of keeping her going where mm. she didn't give up hope. She kind of knew she was dying, but she still said, oh, my God, we're going to go out and I'm going to be bridesmaid and we'll wear red dresses and um, we'll go to Italy and I'll bring um, Kira, which is the boy's stepsister, um, with with us. And she look after the boys and, we'll, and she's like, that's if you want to get married now in Italy. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't want me as your bridesmaid. I was like, oh, shut up. Of course I do. And um, it was just so lovely. And they, the guy that was there, her friends said, um, Oh, right. And how, how will we give her away? Maybe we'll borrow um, a tractor. They were bantering. And she said, or oh, she Jesus, at this stage, dad will put her in Anthem to get rid of her. <laughs> you know, it was just banter and it was fun. And it just reminded me of the real her. But yeah, after that, I don't have really... Have you re-listened to that conversation? I have, yeah. I've lots of videos that I listen to, yeah. I, I enjoy them. I, I listened to them from the get-go 
which I don't, you know, I think that if I didn't, it might be difficult to listen to. Okay. But um, I love them. I think they're so funny. Yeah, they're brilliant. brilliant. Isn't it great to have them? Yeah, real her. When you talk about the photos and the videos that you took before that holiday as well, you mm. know, a few months before Pat tragically died mm. and then having those recordings, having those photos, you realise how precious they are. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes we don't realise the power of a moment that's captured until it's gone or until life changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100 percent. And, you know, I, I drone on about that on my Instagram. I'm sure you'll see. I drone, drone, drone on about it because it's so important. I mean, in this case, my nephews don't have a mum or a dad, which is absolutely ridiculous and insane and unheard of and so sad. But, you know, it doesn't happen very often. That's very rare that that happens, you know, not to scare anyone. Oftentimes, if I speak to someone who has perhaps lost, you know, their partner and they have children, they always get terrified when they talk to me because they're thinking, oh, this could happen to me. My children could be left with no one, you know. Um, but it's, you know, it's so rare that this happens. But we are the we are the link now. It falls on us. And to have them photos and videos, it's the only way we can say this was your mom and this is what she was like. And this is your dad. Look, at look at the playing. I have ones of, of him tickling Adam. I have Adam, you must remember, was two when his dad died. Yeah, clearly. you know, it's important for them to see those videos and not alone videos. But you know, what's really funny, actually, is Pa said to me one time, um, I was showing him Snapchat videos. And you know the way they were only 15 seconds or they were at the time. Mm. And I remember him saying, them feckin' videos. He said, in years to come, it'll drive us all mad because it's only 15 seconds and then it's gone. And his point was, why are they so short? Take a proper video. You know, take a minute and a half video of something happening. And we can all, you know, a lot of the times we'll say, you know, um, get off the phone and be present. And I agree with that big time. But also there's no harm in whipping it out for a minute, two minutes and capture particularly when the small children involved, because God forbid the worst ever happened. They need to see what their parents were like, you know. Mm, there is a balance, isn't there? Yeah. And yeah, I and also I think mothers are guilty of not getting into the photos. And don't be yeah. afraid to tell someone, take a photo of me here. <laughs> I've Stephen plagued. Take a photo of me mm. <laughs> with Freddie, you know. So, yeah. So Elaine passed away on the 4th of February and about five months later, you and a whole troop of people took part in Tough Mudder again. <laughs> Off we go again. Yeah, I mean, you had, did you have, how many, you'd hundreds? Hundreds, yes, hundreds. So I think after she passed, I needed to get busy now. And it was quite funny, you know, because now I'm like, okay, now I know what she was going through. You know, when Elaine lost Pa and, you know, it was very hard to watch the pain she was in. But now I was in the pain and getting the way, you know, sometimes you can be a bit sharp, a bit off with those closest to you. And I said, OK, I'm here. This is me now. So I liked, you know, I used to laugh at the fact she was all busy, busy, busy. But now I was, OK, let me get busy, 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 because I this is what I need. And so I thought every year we do something anyway for charity. I, I like that. Um, so we had been on a committee, myself and Elaine, for uh, to try and get a playground built in the local community there was no playground it was issues trying to get sites so we were on this committee and when Pa uh, passed away she left the committee obviously and so it just fell apart there was no sites we had no money to get a site 
and all of that. So I decided, right, we're going to do Tough Mudder again and we're going to do it for them, but I don't know for what. You know, there's a multitude of things I could have, charities and different things. So I contacted the girl, uh, the chairperson of the playground committee and said, could we raise the money for this? And I thought, this will be really special because we can do the playground in their memory. They were young mm. people. Yeah. You know, it's for children. Um they would love this. They were big time community people. Like Pa was on lots of committees and they were big time into their, their village. It's only a village where we're from, tiny village. So um, anyway, I knew from previous years that it's power to the people. The more people you can get on board, the more money you can raise. Because we said, look, we need at least 100,000. So that's a lofty goal for a tiny village. And so I said to them, Right, I'm doing it. Who's doing it with me? And picked on maybe 20 people that I knew would do it and bullied them into it. You all need to sign up and you need to put it on your page and make other people sign up. And that's the power of having a reason and a why. You know, everybody got on board because it was for Elaine and Pat. People who never ran. People who were, had hurt their joints. Like they were doing it, whether it was going to take them 25 hours, they were going to do it. And it was team stretch and they were so proud and we all had a t-shirt and there was over 300 of us. I kind of lost count because it just got a bit, it grew legs, you know. But having got to know you over the past few months, this does not surprise me (laughs) in the slightest because I think you have uh, the rare ability to bring people together. You are that galvanizer of, come on, yeah. You empower people and and people feel like there's something about you. They're like, I, w- I want to get on board with this woman. It's, I, 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 you know, she's telling me I'm, I'm brilliant and I can do it. I'm, I'm now starting to believe it for myself, mm-hmm. which is a powerful thing. But knowing the reason why, your why mm. and that that's, is yeah, so powerful. I like to do that. I've always been that person to, I might necessarily believe in myself, but I believe in everybody else. Mm. And I will, I will be the person to say, you can do it. You can do it. Well able. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, um, and, and I do it maybe in a relaxed way that they believe me. I'm like, Irish, sure, we'd be grand. <laughs> what about it? Won't we be all right? So yeah, um, over 300 did it. And it just, we were fundraising. It, it was incredible. Like all of the surrounding communities, they had tractor pulls, they had dress sales, they, they had everything dark competitions they had oh just everything that they could think of and everyone was raising money and within the the four months we'd hit the hundred thousand which is just insane for a tiny community but again as i said it's the why it's the powerful reason this couple were gone and that was what i used to entice them i was like listen you know anyone that was saying no to me i said you're here they're not here. Elaine was here. She'd only love to be here doing this. You know, she was here doing this last year. You're here now. What's your excuse? Mm-hmm. What is your reason? Don't give me an excuse. You don't have one. So if you are awake this morning, you can bloody do it. So, and, and, and I was excited by it because I thought, can imagine all these people's lives are going to change as well because they're doing something that they thought they were so nervous oh I'm going to I'm not going to be able to do it I'm, going to, I'm like you promise I promise you you will and from there they've like it's changed their life because they can't say that excuse anymore they can't say I can't do something because you said it previously and that didn't come true mm. you know you did it so you've proved yourself wrong so that's why I love things like that you know but yeah so we raised uh, 111,000 we had another massive session 
But yeah, so um, yeah, we raised the money and it's still, uh, unfortunately, like there's so much to, to build in a playground and different things, but the money is there and we are, yeah, dying to build it, dying to build it. Yeah. Yeah, it's phenomenal. That'll be a special moment. Oh, incredible. When that happens, yeah. knowing that it's... That she it's was the on the committee as yeah. well and it's, yeah, it's in their name and we got it done in their name. So it's beautiful and it'll be there forever, you know? Yeah. You're amazing, Cathy. You <laughs> really you. are. Um, so your little boy, Freddie, will be two in November. He will. But when he was born, there were a few goosebump inducing moments. Look, at <laughs> the birth of any child exactly. can be goosebump inducing for various different reasons, uh-huh. depending on how they come into the world. Yes. Um, but do you want to tell us about when you went into hospital? Yeah, so... Um so this was 2018. So I suppose Elaine died in 2017. So it's a year later and the emotions are high as with any woman going in for a baby. And um, but in particular, I found it very raw for me because she had died in the hospital um, just a year earlier. And I don't know if you I know you're a good friend, Jerry Hussey. He does a, mm. a TED talk on now. I, I won't quote him directly, but it's about the fact that people are born in yes. a hospital and some people die in that same place. Yeah, it's an amazing talk. Yeah, Amazing. Mm. So, yeah, um, the ward where she passed away is actually right next next to the maternity ward. Mm. So, you know, I, I actually find comfort in the hospital. Some people can't go back there. But, you know, after she died, I felt like. Where is she? You know, I wanted to go to the hospital. I found comfort in the hospital, which is unusual because a lot of people would say, I can't go in there now. Um, But I uh, felt like she was there. So when I went in there, I was quite happy to take a stroll down. I had sent Stephen home because it was, you know, nothing happening. And I went down to the corridor and and down to the ward where she died. And I actually met some of the nurses. The the nurses came to her funeral. They they just were so taken with her. And... um, there was one real special nurse and I ran into her that night and she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm in for my baby. <laughs> I was in the pre-labor ward and they moved me down to the delivery suite. So um, things were progressing and I had about 50,000 bags with me mm. <laughs> with everything that you need. Yeah. And so I was, had Stephen like running around for me, go down and get the bag. So I went into the delivery suite kind of on my own because he had gone back for a bag and the midwife came in and she said, hello. And she told me her name and... I started hysterically crying <laughs> and then Stephen came back and said, what's wrong? And the nurse, said, I think, I think she's a bit nervous. I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and they said, what, what's the matter? I said, her name is Elaine. So the midwife had come in and said, hi, my name is Elaine, mm. which, you know, it's not that massively uncommon of a name. But for me, I thought, the wow. The timing of it. Wow. Yeah. The energy of it. Yeah. So I was completely taken with her then. And, you know, the midwife is there with you. And so that was fine. And then um, it was just funny because myself and Stephen was like, OK, we just had the sense that she was there. Mm. I, don't, I don't get that a lot, but certain times I do. And when I do, it's very strong. So I said, she's here. I know she's here. Um, and then I was getting an epidural and I was as high as a kite from gas and all the rest of it. <laughs> and um, I was getting my epidural and they asked me, could a, a paramedic come in to watch it because, for training or whatever he was doing? He was a paramedic and he, they said, do you mind if he comes in and watch when you get the epidural? And I said, of course, absolutely. So he came in and he was very, you know, 
they said he's he's not going to be intruding. He'll be up against the wall and he won't be talking to you or anything. But of course, I was high on gas. So I was like, how's it going? Where are you from? <laughs> Where are you from now? And oh, he said, I'm based in Roscommon. I said, oh my God, I'm from Roscommon. How bizarre. I mean, you in Roscommon Hospital out and all this. And I just knew by him he was getting a bit shifty. And we started talking. And of course... It was still quite raw for me. So anyone that would listen, I'd be telling them my sister's not here and I'm a bit sad. And Yeah, yeah. He said, I know. He said, I took her in the ambulance the last day she went to the hospital. <laughs> and he was in the room. So I, I couldn't believe it. I said, yeah. He goes, yes, she had collapsed in, in, she had gone to a party. This is the last time she went in. And he said, there was a girl with blonde hair. I said, yeah, there was her sister-in-law. And he said, yeah, I took her to the hospital the last time that she went in. She never came out after that. So if that is not a sign, Jesus, I don't know, right? Mm. So yeah, I, uh, it was just incredible that he was there and then I had this midwife, Elaine. And then this one came in to do an epidural and her name was Evelyn and my mom's name's Evelyn and my dad is Joe and Stephen said, it's, ah, for God's sake, it's Joe outside, you better send him in too. <laughs> he said, for sake (laughs) so we got a laugh out of it but I there I had no doubt in my mind that she was there it was special and you just the universe couldn't have told me anymore you know Mm. and then yeah the midwife you know at the end and it's so frantic and I was like everyone shut up just her just her and she was amazing amazing girl and yeah it was a lovely story I think wow Cathy I know yeah so your little Manning is, uh, is 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 nearly two, and you still have moments where you, you feel her with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's hard because of all the things that could have been. Um, yeah. But then you know, I have her friends that I get on to. You know, there's sometimes I want to say, you know, adjacent reflux, or you know, there's things I want to know, and she's not there to answer and. But her friends are great. You know, I contact them and I'll say, do I give Neurofin and Calpol or is it just the one? Like, I, I don't know. And they're, they're amazing. Like, you know, friends are, you, you need to, you know, not underestimate the power of friendships and stuff. So they're brilliant. But yeah, um, I, I definitely feel, I feel she's there. And in a way, I feel that she sent him to me. I really believe that she sent Freddie to me. <laughs> Sorry. I think that the two of them did because I always... I don't know why. I think a part of the damage from all of the trauma was I got this belief that everything would go wrong. And I always thought, sure, I bet I won't be able to get pregnant. I I bet I won't be able to. And I remember speaking to someone one day and they said, why don't you just give that to Elaine? Give it to her and let her look after that for you. And I did. And I just, I believe... There was no way that all she ever wanted for me was for me to marry. And even though I'm not married, <laughs> we skipped yes, that part. Yes, yes. yes. We, we're not too rushed on that side of things. But all she wanted was for me to settle down. And she was like that. She was the home bird and she wanted me to be happy. And she always wanted me to have a little baby and everything. And I fully believe they sent him to me. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Oh, Cathy. This uh, this conversation has really blown me away. Um, as I said, I only I only heard about your experience recent enough, mm. and it seems like an awful lot for one person to be able to process. Mm-hmm. And yet here you are, 
and if anyone follows you on Instagram and if you don't you should because she's deadly um, but you're you're you've got such a lust for life mm-hmm. you've got such a brilliant attitude to having the crack not taking things too seriously to soak it up and to get out there and live your life that's what you're all about 100% yeah and that's my life's work now is I understand it. I've I've seen it. And not alone have I seen it through illness. I've seen it through when it's not expected. Yeah. You know, I've I've had that. I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but I've had that front row seat at both at an illness of someone slipping away and getting to say goodbye. But I've also seen no goodbye. So I get the fragility of life. I understand it. And as humans, you know, we're so hard on ourselves and we're critics and we hold ourselves back and we don't do things but you have to stop that you have to live every day and every day that you get up and if you have woke up and you have woke up that's a positive you are already you're already winning yeah and I always carry that with me and I kind of always had anyway going back to that Baz Luhrmann song I was even tuned into it then that you think you have troubles but It'll blindside you someday and then you'll then you'll know and then you'll say, what was I thinking before? And you know, I get it. I absolutely get it because I'm guilty of it myself. You know, in the first while after the deaths, you know, if someone said, you know, I missed my nail appointment, I'd nearly freak out going, oh, shut the hell up. <laughs> you know, really? But you fall into those habits and I do it myself going off oh, for fa- this is so unfair. This has happened to me or whatever. Um, different things that I, I'll whinge and moan because we all do. But I have to say, I think the difference is, and this is, you know, for someone that's struggling or has lost someone and maybe is stuck in the depths of grief, it's okay to feel sad because that's the thing I've learned is I found when after Lane passed, someone would say, how are you now? And I'd say, Jesus, I'm quite low this week. And immediately people are kind of frightened. They'd say, maybe you should go and speak to a counsellor. And I would say, but sure, I'm, I'm supposed to feel this way. I'm supposed to feel low. It's fine. And I find that I step into it. And this is what's worked for me is that I have days. Believe you me, ask Stephen, he will tell you, I have days. But I step into it, but I think I don't stay there. Mm. I allow it to come and I just move with it. And I could be laughing five minutes later, but I, I don't, you know, I don't stay there. And, and life, I, I'm quite lucky You know, people can say, Jesus, you had so much bad things happen to you, but I didn't actually get sick. It was traumatic and horrendous and heartbreaking losing a family member. Like your world changes. You know a person your entire life. My life didn't exist without my big sister. She was there from when I first took a breath. She held my hand. All of my photos, she's holding my hand as a little girl. All the way up to I was holding her hand as she passed, you know. And I think that... That is life. And unfortunately, we all have different stories, but it all ends the same way. We all, it all ends in death, unfortunately, which is, it's tough. But if you can, can make peace with that, you will start living your life. You don't have control of anything, only just have fun, be with the people you love, talk to them, do the things. And that's really my mantra. Yeah, it's trying to get people to, to live better and feel better, feel better. You know, we're devils for punishing ourselves and and creating suffering. But and you will from time to time. And that's okay. But as I said, let it come and then let it go. Don't stay there. Step out of it if you Mm. can. It's such a powerful message and an important one. And and you're 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 dead on what you say, because I think unless you've experienced 
um, tragedy like you have mm. or you've been faced with your own mortality, which often happens if people are given a, a, mm-hmm. a diagnosis of mm-hmm. illness yeah. where you wonder, is this going to get me? Mm. When you when you are faced with that, the positive it brings in is it makes you realise, but sure, none of us know what's around the corner. Because well, we don't. That's exactly it. We don't have a clue. Because even Elaine said that to me one day and that that, that was a realisation. She said to me, Pa was so healthy and look what happened to him. Yeah. You can't, you can try and be as healthy as you want. And we, we use this phrase a lot. You can go out and get hit by a bus. But literally, there was her trying to be well, but then he passed. Yeah. You know, we don't, we don't know. And it's not to scare anyone. And, and it's it scary. Yeah, it is scary. But, it's, it, but as you said, it's, it's, we're not trying to scare anyone with it. And it's not to be more, but it's actually mm. a reminder it's to, to live alive. every second. And I think when people have been through difficulty, they realise that actually, yeah. you know, when it's somebody's birthday or you're together, yes. have a laugh and proper laugh. Uh-huh. You know, get out in the dance floor and have that feckin' dance. 100%. Stop holding yourself back. Yes. Because, because none of us know. To be honest, I wouldn't have been a person like that to um, celebrate or make a fuss. Oh, Jesus. Now, Freddie's birth- first birthday was like a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having all of the people in. Great. Because I never did that. And, and yes, life and, is and, short. And I saw through lockdown, you did the same thing for Stephen. He said to me, sure, it's not a milestone <laughs> birthday at all. And I had was, a surprise party which for was his lovely. 32nd birthday. It was ridiculous, <laughs> but it was hilarious. You're Brilliant. S- you're setting the bar high. <laughs> yes. <laughs> every no pressure, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it great? And that is yeah. the way it should be. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. You're such a light. You are such an amazing person. I've said it to you a gazillion times in a million voice notes that I've sent yeah. you. But yeah. I feel everything, I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason. Yeah. And there's a reason we've connected through mm-hmm. uh, our mutual friend yeah. um, who is a, a, herself is a gorgeous person. And I don't think there's any mistake in you guys connecting. And I don't think there's any mistake in the fact that she connected us as well. Mm. Um, and I look forward to the day when we can all go out and dance like mad jokes on the dance floor because you should see Shove on the dance floor. She's a <laughs> lunatic. I will be there and I will, I'll, I'll raise her. I'll raise you one. <laughs> and I'll be taking the photos. Yeah. Come here, thanks. It's been amazing. Oh, thank you so much. It's been lovely. You'll find Cathy on Instagram at Cathy Stritch PT and she also runs the Grief Ireland page which hosts retreats and workshops. You'll find it on Instagram at Grief Ireland. And for those wondering... Jason and Adam now live with Cathy's parents and they see Cathy, Stephen and Freddie very often. You've been listening to Ready To Be Real. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.